Reverend Dr. Eric Barreto, thank you so much for being with us today uh, on Three Minute Ministry Mentor. You're coming to us from Princeton Theological Seminary, where you're the Weyerhaeuser Associate Professor of New Testament. And uh, you do lots of interesting things besides just interpret the New Testament. And I'm grateful you're here to talk to us today about all kinds of fun things like uh, how we navigate diversity and difference and how we um, uh, interpret texts and how we live into the reign of God. Welcome. I'm really glad to be here, Eileen. Thanks. So while biblical interpretation is one of the main things that you have focused on in your teaching, you've also done a little writing and a lot of thinking probably about thinking and about uh, thinking theologically. And you've written a book called Thinking Theologically along with some colleagues. And uh, you, in the beginning of that book, you tell a wonderful story about your daughter and how she helped you kind of crystallize what it is to think about thinking. Yeah. Tell us that story. She was five years old and I was talking to her about putting this book together. So she insisted that we write our own book together. And she also <laughs> wanted to call it the Thinking Theologically. So we got to designing the cover. And then I, and she's like, so what do I put on the cover? I said, well, you can write the title and then maybe a picture of somebody thinking, which just baffled her to no end. And she couldn't figure out how to picture somebody thinking. <laughs> and, and to me, that felt exactly right. That thinking is, it's kind of like breathing air, right? So if you tell yourself to start breathing, you, you start controlling your breath, you'll yeah. do that. But in a couple of minutes, you're going to forget. Right. And your breathing is going to go on without you. I think thinking is like that too, that... It's yeah. hard to stop and do that, take one step back and think about what is it that we're doing when we're thinking in the first place. So that's one of the reasons we wanted to put this book together is as a resource for seminarians, for pastors, to think about what is this thing we call thinking theologically. We talk about that all the time, but yeah. what is it exactly? That's right. What were some of the elements of that you went into in the book? Um, a couple of things we thought about was the different disciplines, right? So how you think theologically from the perspective of biblical studies and practical theology. And that, and historically, right, so that these different disciplines give us different tools, different yeah. sensibilities, different approaches. Uh, but also, one of the things that struck me about that book is how often the essay writers came back to bodies. Oh. Thinking isn't just yeah. about what happens in our craniums, right? It's mm -hmm. about what we do with our hands, with our feet, the way that we move through the world, that thinking is an embodied activity. Sometimes as students, I think we forget because we spend so much time by ourselves with a book, with a computer, sure. that we think that's what thinking looks like. But I think in ministry that moving through the world, that consulting with people, informing community, that's a form of embodied thinking. Yes. Um, that goes beyond just my intellect and more hard to do with my, um, my relational identity and my ability to relate to others. Well, embodied relational practice is exactly what yep. we're talking about in this project. Yep. So uh, it's gonna be uh, wonderful to share this resource with people. Eric, tell us some of the hard things that we need to be thinking about with our theological and biblical imagination. So I think some of the hard things we have to think about are, are questions of justice today. Yeah. And when we're thinking, we're not just thinking about abstract ideas, we're talking about people's lives yes. and the way that our political situation, our socioeconomic structures, um, our ways of thinking and being are affecting some more harshly than others. Yeah. Uh, so I think what's one of the hard things we have to think through is what does a community of faithfulness look like in the midst of injustice, uh, in the midst of unequal treatment, in the midst of 
churches and other communities telling some people that they're welcome and some that they don't belong. Yeah. So I think that's at the center of the hard questions we have to grapple with. And when you're in the classroom, how do you help your students uh, move toward that kind of thinking that mm -hmm. allows them to have these hard conversations? Yeah. How are you helping really you know, lodge this idea of, of what's needed yeah. with your students? I think one of the gifts of reading scripture is that it develops this sensibility in us, the sense that other people's stories matter, mm. that other people's stories are not our own. Mm. We get to be witnesses to those stories, right? So the book of Acts, right, is not our story, but we get to witness to it, mm -hmm. participate in it. So I think the first thing that I hope my classes help students develop is this sense of, of empathy, of hope for other people's stories, that yeah. other people's stories are, are valuable and that those other people's stories are places where God can speak really clearly, really vibrantly, and in really radical and revolutionary ways. Beautiful. I want to read a little quote from uh, Thinking Theologically. You said, Thinking Theologically is hard work, for it seeks to discern the very source and sustenance of life. So now getting beyond those stories about people, you say it's also in God in whose mind we were first an inkling, the God who thought us into existence, the God whose thinking sustains us at every turn. So tell us what comes to mind about thinking theologically and what's entailed in doing that kind of theological thinking from your perspective. Yeah, I think there's a way in which we, when we think theologically, we are God image bearers, right? We, we God imagined us into existence. God created us through thought, right? I mean, it's, it's not quite the right term, right? But there's a sense in which when we mm -hmm. think theologically in community, we're participating in this, this divine gift that God has given us to experience God's presence through the stories of others, through the ways that God has moved in the lives of others. Uh, and that when we gather together and share those stories, in a very real sense, we're hearing God's voice. As a teacher of theological texts, how do you imagine the role that texts play? You've been talking about mm -hmm. that, but let's say a little bit more about how the, what the role that a text plays in thinking theologically mm -hmm. and, and in, in uh, leading in yeah. the practice of ministry. I think sometimes we tend to treat the biblical text like a, like a rule book, or at our worst, like a magic eight ball, and you shake it up to uh, kind of get yeah. a Those were a not allowed at my house when I was growing up, but I do know about them. <laughs> But so often, right, you throw the Bible open, you put your finger down, and that's God's word for me. So I, what I'm hoping to help nurture in my students is a different kind of approach to Scripture, one where these texts are meant to engage our imaginations. So in the work of ministry, I, I think I've talked to a lot of pastors, and they know, we know, they, we know what death looks like. We know what it feels like. We know, we experience it. We see it in relationally. We see it in the physical deaths of people. Um, Imagining what resurrection looks like is really hard work, especially in the midst of so much brokenness and injustice. So what I think biblical texts do is, is are there uh, imaginative helps for us, right? When, when our imagination runs short, when all we can see is death and loss, these texts can help spark our imagination to imagine one step beyond that. What does resurrected life look like? Not just that moment when I stop breathing one day and my heart stops beating, but right here, right now, in the everyday of life. One of the things you've written, you said, our thinking poignantly reflects God's own image. Mm. And so our thinking can help us participate in God's reign. 
I think it, it goes back to this question of imagination. It's, it's naming the realities that don't seem real to us. Naming that reality that we are children of God, that we are worthy of the image of God being, being within us. That God has given us justice, righteousness, uh, that God has called us into communities of flourishing and life and not of scarcity. Those are all things that we need someone to help name that truth for us. So whether it's a pastor, an activist, a theologian, their gift, I think, is going into communities and naming those realities that sometimes we're right at the verge of not quite believing because everything we experience in the world mm -hmm. sends us in a different direction. So I think that's one of the greatest gifts that leaders can give is just name the truths yeah. that God has declared over and over again in the Bible. But sometimes it's so hard to believe. Have you seen this in a form that you could share as a story where someone went into community and spoke in this way and it brought life and a movement toward justice? Or One story that, that comes to mind was it was a World Communion Sunday at, at our local church where we attend. Um, and I remember thinking, feeling as if that church wasn't the most diverse space I ever moved into. Mm -hmm. uh, but that morning, the pastor called for members of the congregation, people gathered there during the children's sermon to say, uh, the Lord be with you in all the different languages that they knew in that room. Uh. And minutes later, people were still speaking in new languages over and over again. It was a reminder that sometimes we have to go just below the surface, not just of the things that we see, but to hear the depth, complexity, and beauty of other people's stories that sometimes we can't always see on the surface. To me, that was that moment where the community just looked different after that. Diversity and difference are some of the things that you have spent a lot of time yourself thinking theologically about, writing about, and trying to help people navigate in a more positive way. You and others have pointed out in less than two decades, we're going to be at a place in this country where there's no single majority of any racial ethnic group. How are you preparing your students for being in a world where that is the truth and we're not in the, the super majority of all white folks? Yeah, in 2040, right, there's this tipping point where will be a, a nation of minorities, at least a number. I think mm -hmm. one thing to be careful about thinking about this is that um, a shift in numbers doesn't always necessitate a shift in power, That's right. a shift in influence. Uh, what's striking too is uh, uh, Juan Martinez has pointed out that that moment, that 2040 shift moment, happens in churches and in theological education in the 2020s. So we are within years of this, mm. this demographic reality being true already in theological education as a whole, and in churches. So um, I think for me, one of the, the big things to approach this is to move away from fear and anxiety mm -hmm. to hope and curiosity about what God is doing. Mm. We can find lots of, you can find all these articles about the demise of the church, the decline of the church. Those are everywhere. <laughs> and, are. and I'm kind of done with them, right? Not because I want to pretend that things are going to be fine, but because they don't tell the whole story. Mm, that's they don't right. tell the whole story of uh, communities of immigrants, of minoritized people who yeah. are being deeply faithful uh, to these traditions, deep, deeply faithful to the God who liberates. Um, I want to see the abundance present in these communities. I want to amplify the, the, the abundance happening in those communities. Yeah. So part of what I'm teaching, yeah, I'm teaching content and I teach Greek, 
But I think more than anything, it's this approach, this leaning, this posture towards difference and change. And yes, it does promote anxiety in us and fear that things mm -hmm. aren't going to be what they have been. Mm -hmm. But what if God, the Spirit, we can help, and one another, we can help one another turn away from that hopelessness to something that looks more like curiosity, wondering what is God up to? What is God doing? And how can we be a part of this yeah. abundant, beautiful thing that God is doing? Yeah. This is one of my favorite quotes. I think it might have come from a presentation or a sermon, it might be in print too. You said, God created, loves, and revels in our human difference. Uh, do you have a story that embodies, presents for us this, this uh, kind of vision that you are sharing about what the scripture can do that's good and, and uh, creates flourishing and not harm and yeah. damage? So one example from my own life. So I grew up in Puerto Rico and we moved from Puerto Rico to the United States, when I was, to the mainland when I was nine years old. Uh, we were citizens, so yeah. no green papers, no migration, immigration, all that stuff. Um, it took the, the witness of my immigrant neighbors, also Latino, Latina, Latinx people, for me to see one story in the scriptures more clearly. So the parable of the laborers, yeah. you know, right? Sure. Owner goes out, hires people 10, 11, all throughout the day gets to be the end of the day, it's time to get paid. The people who started working late in the day get paid first. Mm -hmm. They get a day's wage and the people who've been working all day think they've hit the lottery because if those lazy bums got a day's wage, then just imagine what's coming our way. But then the landowner gives everyone the same day's wage. Yeah. The church where I grew up, and I think a lot of churches, and Huso Gonzalez points this out in one of his books, is that the sense is, what's that story about? That story is about that sometimes God's justice doesn't make sense. Mm. That what the landowner does is fundamentally unfair but because it's God doing it, we just have to deal with it. Mm. Gonzalez points out that in immigrant churches, people read that story very differently because they've mm. had that experience of looking for work, desperately needing work. Mm. That that story isn't about God's justice not making sense. It's about God's justice meeting our deepest needs. Mm. It's not about us getting over the fact that God does stuff that sometimes seems unjust. It's about when we have our deepest needs, God meets them. Now. Because of my own experience moving from Puerto Rico to the mainland, that was not part of my experience. I needed the witness of my neighbors to see all that that text could mean. Without them, I could not know what God was trying to communicate through that story. Mm. Um, and I think there's many spaces like that in the Bible, right? So our, our experiences are rich and important. We can see things in the scripture that maybe the person to my left or the person to my right can. Uh, but then they can see things that I can't on my own. Mm. But the mm -hmm. reading of the Bible is always a communal activity. We never read the Bible by ourselves. And that's one way that God is driving us toward each other to say, you have to talk to other people to figure out who I am. To know the character of God is to know the diversity of God's creation. So Eric, one of the things you and I share is that we're both Baptist ministers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you've been a minister longer than you've been a professor. Mm. And I'm wondering if you can uh, reflect with us a little bit about how some of your own practices of mm. ministry and teaching have changed over time. Mm -hmm. So I want you to think about, if you would, some practice maybe of interpretation mm. or preaching or something that you do regularly and have done for these many years. What mm. year were you ordained? Uh, that would, what year was that? Uh, 2006, I think. Okay, seven, so seven. yeah, you, you've been yeah. a dozen years or more. Yeah as an ordained minister. Do you, so any part of your practice of ministry, think about the way it started and maybe how it's shifted mm -hmm. for you. Preaching in particular, mm -hmm. that it's become a, 
a real joy of the kind of ministries I get to do and to visit churches and to share uh, the preaching ministry in those spaces. I think for a long time I, I figured preaching was just like uh, a more persuasive exegesis paper. <laughs> you know, it, it was this thing I got trained to do, how do you read a text? But uh, more and more I realized that it's not about reading, it's not just about reading a text, it's about reading a text precisely in the midst of a community. Yeah. That to read the biblical text means listening really carefully to the questions, the hopes of the people gathered around these texts. Um, and we do that in, in my classes, and I also get to do that in my preaching as well, that it's, it's never just about how well I can read a particular text. Right. Um, it really is about how deeply we can listen to what the Spirit is doing. So that means, um, you, know, it, you know, it means listening to what's going on in the world. It means watching the news, as painful as that is sometimes. And not because I have to respond to each and everything that happens, not, not everything is breaking news, but you think part of the discipline of, of ministry is to know the, the, the feeling mm -hmm. of the moment and the feeling, the diverse feelings that you're gonna have in any congregation when you're preaching into that space. Uh, the other bit that I've been struck by is, um, I think early in my ministry when when people said, "Oh, I'm so glad when you, I'm so glad when you preached X," and I said nothing of the sort, I'd be like, I, "Did I not communicate clearly?" <laughs> like I would take it as if I've done something wrong. More and more, I'm wondering if. So often we preach even more than we can start to imagine. Um, in, in Acts chapter two, Peter stands up at Pentecost and says, "The Spirit has fallen upon all these people," and yet Peter takes them all the way to chapter ten to embrace the presence of the Spirit among the Gentiles. Mm. Sometimes we preach more than we're actually ready to believe. Yeah. And I have to be ready, willing, uh, and curious about the ways maybe the Spirit is speaking through me in ways I didn't anticipate. Yeah, the more. I love mm -hmm. the way that we, I think with experience, we become yeah. in touch with how much, the, how much more is happening and how much more the Spirit or God mm -hmm. is doing in yeah. any moment mm -hmm. than we can, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a, that's a beautiful right. example, but it takes time to learn that that's happening. Yes, right? yes, that's right. And just to be like, oh, maybe, maybe it's, not, it's not about me. It's not, it's not about something I did wrong or some failing of my part. It's, it's about trusting that God's Spirit does show up even in ways that we didn't anticipate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's ask the same question about your teaching. Uh, in the classroom. Oh. What's shifted about that for you? Is there anything uh, about the way you teach interpretation or the way you mm. teach um, biblical exegesis or yeah. even Greek maybe yeah. uh, that's changed over these years that you'd point to? Yeah, I think one challenge, and I think this happens, this happening across theological education is that uh, students come in having um, learned the Bible differently than I think people have in the past. So I grew up in a church where we were constantly reading the scriptures, we had to memorize texts. Yeah, me too. Uh, our students are doing that less. And I think for a while I was lamented that and I was like, how do we fix that? What if we actually see that as, as a gift, right? So you have folks that in a lot of ways are reading the text for the first time. What would I give to read the Gospel of Luke if I've never, as, as if I've never read it before, to read it with fresh eyes and, mm. and a little surprise along the way? Yeah. Uh, so I think one thing has been to, 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 to value, to treasure mm -hmm. the, that, that first glimpse, that first perspective that they bring. Uh, and also to worry a little less about knowing all the stuff. We can never know all the stuff. If I had three years of just Bible courses, I still couldn't teach everything I would want a minister to know. No. 
But what we can do is, is teach practices, teach a sensibility, teach a posture towards scripture and to the stories that others tell about, it, about them as well. Uh, so it's been, for me, a, a shift away from knowing a bunch of stuff to uh, knowing who you are, knowing how you read, and how to do so generously. Eric, what are the go-to resources that you uh, really try to introduce your students to yeah. when they are learning uh, the practice of ministry yeah. in your classrooms? Uh, any go-to resources, but I have in mind especially those that you're trying to introduce students to. Yeah, I think often it's, how do I introduce students to to kind of read over someone's shoulder as they're yeah. reading these texts in, in beautiful and inspiring ways. So, yeah, so many great teachers. So Beverly Gaventa's work on the Book of Romans. She's got this little book called When in Romans that is just oh. um, this beautiful, like, here, walk with me as I show you how I read these texts. Uh, Matt Skinner has this lovely book about the Book of Acts, Intrusive God, Disruptive Gospel, that shows how these texts can go beyond just how-tos for the church, but yeah. again, these moments of imagination. Uh, Willie Jennings has written this commentary on the book of Acts that is unlike any commentary I've read before, but mm. it's the sensitivity and his playfulness with language and the way that he's uh, turning around these insights that I think is, is really, really meaningful. Uh, for me, one of the key things is just diversifying uh, the pastor's bookshelf. Yeah. So that when we look it up, up, if we still have books, right? Or if you look at your Kindle list, right? Sure. Uh, who, 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 which communities are represented there and which are missing? Yeah. So for me, a lot of it is uh, that kind of self-analysis, that self-audit to say, which other voices do I need to hear? And for me, one of the big areas of growth for me has been reading a lot of uh, Bible readings from the perspective of disability studies. Mm. And the ways that our assumptions about what able bodies look like, what whole bodies look like, have to be deconstructed. Yeah. Um, because in our preaching and in our teaching so often, we're carrying around these assumptions um, that can be harmful to people and that the reading from those perspectives, learning from those perspectives, actually gives us even more room uh, to, to create space for these texts to be life-giving for all kinds of people. Okay. One of the things we like to do at Three Minute Ministry Mentor is leave people with uh, provocative questions. Mm. I'm wondering if there's a mm. question that you uh, find helpful to guide you in your own ministry and teaching yeah. or that you try to give to students? Uh, mm -hmm. What, what mm -hmm. question would you uh, leave us with today? Yeah. That's a good question. I think one question that's often driving me is whose voices do I trust? Mm. Um, and not just explicitly, you know, who, who do I keep turning to, but in the, the unexamined practices of my study and my reading mm. and my preaching, mm. whose voices do I tend to put at the center? And what might it look like for me to put a different set of voices mm. at the center of my own teaching, research, and preaching? Uh, so that question, whose voices do I trust, uh, is one that I keep coming back to. Thank you. That is an excellent question cool. for us to all be asking. Thank you for being part of the conversation today about the practice of ministry, about interpreting texts and um, encountering difference and diversity and becoming part of living in the reign of God. Thank yeah. you for these uh, beautiful insights into the work that you do, yeah. uh, nurturing lots of people, but particularly uh, those who are feeling a call to ministry. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. Glad to be a part of this. <laughs>